This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Speaking of Asia podcast by The Straits Times. This is Ravi Velour, and I'm the paper's Asia columnist. This series of podcasts focuses on issues relevant to Asia and distills experience from my four decades of covering the Asian continent. This is my first podcast of 2023, and it promises to be a very busy year on the geopolitical front. There's real danger that Asia could face a conflict, possibly even two, as there's little abatement of tensions in the Taiwan Straits, as well as the Sino-Indian border. Meanwhile, the war in Europe is approaching its first anniversary with no sign that Russia will withdraw the invasion or that Ukraine will surrender. To discuss how the war in Ukraine is proceeding and how it impacts Asia, I have with me Serge Bessanger, a director of the Paris-based Center for Diplomatic and Strategic Studies. Serge divides his time between Paris and Singapore. I've known him as a person who combines strategic depth with deep financial experience as Chief Investment Officer of International Business Capital and as Senior Consulting Expert with the IMF, he wears many hats. Welcome to Speaking of Asia, Serge. Thank you very much, Ravi, and let me thank all our guests who are here with us today. Thank you. Serge, uh, you have sent blood pouches into Ukraine for some time. Could you describe how that is done? Oh, basically, the way we send blood pouches is I, I chair a, an association of blood donors in, in Paris. Um, so we basically drive all the way to Krakow, uh, which is a, a second city in Poland. Uh, from there, we shift from trucks to Fiat 500s because the Fiats are much harder to hit and to you know localize using whatever. So we use Fiats. We use convoys of Fiats. We, we, we load our pouch, blood pouches on the Fiats. We drive to Premisl, which is on the border with uh, Ukraine. Uh, we cross the border, and then we drive for, you know, depending where our destination could be Kharkiv, could be, could be Kiev, could be some other cities. And so far, we've been quite lucky, although I must say that it's, it's a very random experience. And uh, we were once almost hit by a Russian missile that, which went, that landed about a kilometer from my, my car. How many people do you think you might have saved uh, in these uh, last 10 months? Uh, well, one blood patch uh, might save about three persons. So if you're looking at about a thousand blood patches each time, you know, that, that's about 3,000 people. But, but that's, that's not enough. You know, the, the, the sad truth is that the, the, the primary victims of that war are civilians. They're not even the military. I mean, on the Ukrainian side, they're, they're, there's at least three times as many civilian deaths and military ones. And, and the Russians are deliberately targeting villages and cities and, and civilian targets. I've seen that myself. I have seen a convoy of um, Ukrainians burnt by phosphorus, which is a weapon that is banned. I mean, banned for you know use against civilians. Uh, most armies use it as a smoke screen, which is okay. We use it in NATO as a smoke screen, but the Russians actually use it to bombard villages that have absolutely no military value whatsoever. So uh, this this convoy, there was about a hundred people that were burnt, um, and your phosphorus penetrates to the bone and to the blood, and it's 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 devastating. Um, luckily, there, were, there was a convoy of German uh, firemen from the city of Augsburg. So they were able to repatriate uh, to, to Germany, all the way to Augsburg, um, a number of them, but but not, it's never enough. And our efforts are a fraction of what's, what's actually needed. Is this worse than Napalm? 
Oh yes, it is far worse than napalm. I mean, napalm basically burns burns your skin and, and, and tissue. Phosphorus penetrates everything. I mean, imagine a house that is being bombed by phosphorus. Phosphorus will penetrate the roof, the ceiling, and then your 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 whatever you're wearing, and 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 to your bone and to your blood. It's it's a devastating weapon. It's a crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. Could you give us a sense of how the war is uh, going? It's going very badly for both sides. Um, my estimate is that both sides have lost a combined 200,000 people, uh, if we count in military and civilians. And that's roughly half-half. Um, the, the difference is the Russians are losing soldiers. The Ukrainians are using civilians because Ukraine soldiers are much better trained and they have the morale with them. But they're nevertheless losing many men. They're losing about you know two, three, four, two, three, four hundred men per day. The Russians, my estimate, currently losing eight hundred. Mm. So it's it's pretty bad. Uh, one has to remember that Russia is much bigger than Ukraine. It's it's twenty eight times larger. Its GDP is many times higher. Its population is three point five times larger. So Putin can afford hundreds of thousands of deaths among his military. He treats them as cannon fodder. And, you know, God knows what's going to happen because the the Russians are still pouring many more soldiers. They are going to raise other armies next month, probably 500,000 men. So it's it's very difficult for both sides. Mm -hmm. Is this 500,000 been reported or is it your own information? Additional. Additional. uh, That's my own information. I do have friends in Russia. Um, My information is that um, the Russian army will have will commit about 800,000 men inside Ukraine on top of the... So that's 500,000 on top of the current 300,000. And the phosphorus also was something that you learned on your own or, uh, uh, or, or also been reported? Oh, phosphorus is, is actually established. I'm, I'm not the only person that saw phosphorus. I mean, you, you can find it, you can see it on YouTube. There's a lot of people that have been filming phosphorus bombardments by the Russians. Um, I'm not the only person who witnessed that. Um, there's an entire group of, of Augsburg of firemen from from Germany that saw this as well with me, and it's 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 a crime against humanity. We should have a tribunal to deal with phosphorus bombardments in the Hague, in whatever, and and these people should be tried. And firstly, first and foremost, Vladimir Putin. You know, Serge, you are speaking to me from Paris, uh, and what has been the winter like this year? There is fear that it is going to be a very tough winter, but I see news reports that maybe it's a bit warmer than you expected, and that must be a big relief for people in Ukraine. Yes. Um, well, as, as far as the French and the Brits and the Germans are concerned, we're having a hot winter, honestly. Currently, it's about 16 degrees in Paris, and it's in the south, it's 20, so it's just like summer. But I'm worried about the Ukrainians because um, it's colder there, definitely. Uh, they, they are having sub-zero temperatures. So um, what Russia has done is they have basically destroyed the entire energy and water infrastructure. And the Ukrainians have to rely on small generators. Um, and by the way, there's a couple of Singaporeans that have sent small generators there. Um, it's a very much appreciated donation. We are doing that from France as well. What they need is, you know, two, three, four kilowatt generators. Um, in a village, three kilowatts uh, would be enough to, to satisfy a small village for, you know, for for. You know, a couple of days, and it's it's very welcome. What are the prospects of a truce? There was a time when President Macron was attempting to stop the war, uh, and maybe even step in and broker something. Is that all gone now? Well, you're right to, to mention that President Macron has, has um, a huge role to play in this because 
when you ask the Russians what people do they hate, they'll tell you they hate the whole world. Um, what people do they love? They'll tell you they love the French. And, and this, this love relationship with the French is actually reciprocal. The French um, historically have been huge admirers of Russia. Um, and it's, it's, uh, so it's a feeling that, that um, permeates the entire societies on both sides, and certainly our president, Macron, and, and certainly Putin as well. So I think his efforts were, um, it, it was a clever thing to do. And, you know, talking to him every, every week for two hours, uh, even though on the other side, that there's absolutely no sign that he's even listening to this. Sadly, though, um, you know, people start getting impatient. And after one year of such talks, uh, President Macron has stopped calling him because it was just pointless. And instead of calling him, we are now delivering tanks. In fact, the French are going to be the first nation to deliver tanks. I mean, you have to realize one year into the conflict, we're starting to give them tanks. And by the way, those tanks are light cavalry tanks. Um, it's it's uh, the kind of tanks we use in the French army. I'm, I'm a I'm a reservist. We use that for um, it's for scouts, scouting units. So it's called the EMX. It's it's a tank. It's a six wheeler. It's think about. It's basically um, a 105 mm gun on top of a Toyota 44. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, so it it uses wheels and um, it's very fast. It can drive up to 100 kilometers per hour, Whoa. and it's meant for uh, deep raids deep into enemy territory, 1,000 kilometers. Um, that weapon, it's called the AMX-10, was used very successfully against Saddam in 1991 by the French. Um, you know, in that war, we had um, the French had the northern, northern Iraq and the Americans and the Brits had southern Iraq. And the French penetrated very, very deep into uh, Iraqi territory and made a lot of prisoners, thousands and thousands of prisoners. We always lost three men. And that's because that tank is is very mobile. So we're sending the tanks not to kill people, but basically to help the Ukrainians develop um, enveloping tactics that would result in um, not the annihilation, but the surrender of, of large numbers of Russians. Which means that they can enter Russian territory as well. Well, yes, but you know, there's no way the French can say, look, this, this, this tank will stop at the Russian... Uh, border. Um, obviously, we, nobody wants them to uh, what we call a hot pursuit. Um, every single country in the world has told Ukraine, "Look, you you you, sh- you can and you should liberate your country because Donbas is yours, Crimea is yours. It's, it's internationally accepted borders, but do not engage in, in, in hot pursuit." The issue with the AMX-10 is it's perfectly capable of hot pursuit. But then again, it's not a devastating weapon. Uh, it's you know, it's it's a six wheeler basically, uh, and it's not even armor. I mean, it's got some armor. It was designed as an aluminum vehicle, and then we we just added some uh, steel plates, so it can withstand uh, thirty two mm uh, ammunition rounds, but not more than that. Okay. So it's not a battle tank. It's not something you want to throw at the Russians in a Korks, Korsk style, you know. Uh, tank battle. Uh, the EMX would definitely lose that battle. It is meant at uh, reconnaissance and, and deep raids aimed at, at uh, demoralizing the enemy and, and getting him to surrender, basically. Fed, uh, you are very familiar with Asia. And as you know, Singapore is one of the first in the world to announce sanctions on Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. What should we in Asia look for where this conflict is concerned? Well, it's a very good question, Ravi. And um, the, the, the concern that we have in Asia is what we call a fusion. 
the, the fusion of theaters. Um, and that would be a very, very worrisome development. Uh, Putin's hope is basically the following. His hope is that um, he can he can withstand um, the counter assaults of the Ukrainians um, in 2023. And by the end of the year, God knows, um, China will attack India or Taiwan, right? That's, that's his hope. I'm not sure if that will happen, by the way. But um, if, if that were to happen, then definitely it would be a fusion of the theaters. It, it would be essentially World War III. And that's Putin's hope. Um, we Asians, of course, we have to uh, make sure that this doesn't happen. So all the diplomatic efforts made by Singapore, made by India, made by you know, all the nations in Asia are very welcome. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now let's get back to my conversation with Serge Bessanger, a director of the Paris-based Center for Diplomatic and Strategic Studies. You're aware of the No Limits partnership that was announced between Russia and China just before Putin went into Ukraine in February last year. Is this the way the Europeans are looking at Asia now, that there's been this uh, fusion or the fusing of the European and uh, Asian theaters that you just spoke about? Uh, unfortunately, yes. And um, I mean, you have to look at what um, uh, the, the Chinese second ranked leader, Li Changshu, said. He said, we fully understand the necessity of all the measures taken by Russia. So that means that the Chinese basically support that war. And it was quite a shock to us in Europe because until then, until Li Changshu's uh, speech, uh, we thought that China was you know, non-aligned and was basically not, not, not uh, supporting Russia. But they are, obviously. And so um, it's, 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 and then with a couple of days after that, you had uh, the foreign minister, Wang Yi, who called up uh, Sergei Lavrov and reaffirmed his very high level of mutual trust and firm mutual support between China and Russia. So that, that indeed points um, at a, a fusion um, of their policies. Um, Europe needs to react to that. So the way we're reacting to this, um, is, for instance, um, as, you, as you probably know, the delivery of the Rafales that were meant for India has been accelerated. And that, that is to prevent um, further temptations on behalf of China to further invade either Ladakh, which they have done successfully in 2020 2021, or Arunachal Pradesh, which they are doing at the moment, or even Bhutan, which they are invading right now. Um, uh, they call it salami slicing, you know. Um, so we're not sure if that will happen, but 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 definitely uh, we, we we had to send a signal that uh, that this this fusion was not welcome. Has this affected European attitudes towards China? And uh, in your knowledge, has any Asian nation materially assisted Russia over the last ten months? Okay, and I need to start with the second question. Materially assisting, yes, um, North Korea massively. I mean, um, a, a very large number of the ammunition that is being fired at the Ukraine right now actually comes from North Korea. We have the proofs of this. We have the, we have the serial numbers. We have we have the models. We have everything. So it's North Korea, and it's Iran. Iran has sent hundreds, if not thousands, of drones uh, that are meant to bombard civilian targets with the devastating results that we know about. So it's North Korea and, and Iran. It's Established, it's it's a very deep partnership. Um, China 
has not delivered weapons. Uh, their role at the moment is is basically to spread disinformation on social networks, and you know, uh, basically hit that millions of accounts in Facebook and all that, and basically sending cartoons and 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 animes claiming that NATO started this war, but it's not an actual arms delivery. We haven't seen that yet, and we hope that China will not deliver weapons to Russia. Serge, you're a published author on modern China. What should we be watching this year where China is concerned? I'm watching very closely the new, um, the new uh, foreign minister, who's a very interesting person, who uh, just said that he admired, personally admired, the Americans. Now, that's the, that's the first time ever that, that the Chinese official says something like this. And as you know, he was the former ambassador to Washington, and now he's, uh, he's been... Uh, foreign... You're talking about Qin, Qin Gang, right? Yes, exactly, yes. So that's a very interesting development. Um, he, he does seem to be generally impressed by, by Western society, particularly American society. That's very good news. Having said this, he's only number six in the protocol, um, but but you know if if he's not alone, and I think he's not alone, um, that would be an interesting development. You're right. That's quite uh, interesting too. Now, Serge, uh, to bring things back to Europe, as the Russian influence in in your continent has waned, and uh, many countries there see it as an enemy state today, do you think the Chinese profile and influence in Europe has risen alongside? It's an excellent question, Ravi. So let me look at the Pew and Gallup reports on this. As you know, Pew and Gallup uh, poll every very every trimester the opinions and attitudes of various people towards other people, right? So before the war, um, we had uh, the French and the Italians who declared that they were deeply admiring of Russia, right? And, and vice versa, by the way, Russia admiring France and Italy. Um, and then the public opinion of China was, was decent, um, it was around, you know, um, positive 50, something like that. With the invasion, we're witnessing a, 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 a tremendous drop in the perceptions of Russia. And it's not perceived, even in France and Italy, as a country that, that is just basically not the country you want to deal with. It's, it's perceived as very corrupt, dictatorship, very dangerous and cruel and... And um, and so Russia has, has dropped to the low tens, which is something that we've never seen in the history of Europe for the past 200 years. Um, how about China? Well, China, interestingly, has dropped not as much, but positive opinions of China in Europe are now in the low 20s, which means that most people have a negative opinion of China. Why is that so? And, and it, it, it dropped that, to the low 20s from what point? From about 50, you know, there were some countries that, that felt that China was uh, was a nice country to to, be, to have as a partner. There were even some people that said that uh, that Xi Jinping was a better president than than than, than Biden, than Joe Biden. And and, and certainly, Xi Jinping had in, in some countries higher opinion ratings than uh, than Donald Trump before him. So you see, during this Trump period, the uh, opinions that the Americans, the Europeans had of America, dropped very sharply. And that's basically a tribute to Trump, Donald Trump. When Biden came to, uh, to, to power, the opinions of America became a lot more positive. That was perhaps one of the drivers behind the drop in China. But the real drop, as we can see here, is actually that China is perceived to be supporting Russia. 
Just to close this uh, wonderful conversation with you, Serge, can I just ask you to sum up your feelings about the war today in Europe and whether there's any chance at all that we might see an end to this conflict within the next few months? Uh, it's, that's a very good question, Ravi. And, uh, you know, this war has been going on for eight years and uh, we're bracing for another three, four, five years, basically. Uh, the consensus among analysts is that it's, it's definitely not going to be over this year. Uh, Russia has vast resources which they can harness and, and, and pump into that war still. Uh, Ukraine is not going to accept any loss of territory. Um, I've been in Ukraine twice. 100% of the people I've spoken to are telling me, look, this is not acceptable. We will not abandon a single inch of our territory. So uh, it looks like it's going to drag on for a few more years, unfortunately. Serge Bassange, thank you so much for your time. And it's been a great pleasure to have you on Speaking of Asia. Thank you very much, Ravi. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.